0: Welcome to the Pregnancy Loss Podcast, the place I created for moms like us. Pregnancy loss is all-encompassing and creates an overarching theme that runs through our lives forever. We have to learn to live with and beside the grief of losing our baby. We have to learn how to live again, how to parent again, how to engage and interact and be social again, how to communicate effectively to connect with our spouses and significant others. We have to find who we are now. I'm here to empower and inspire you to live a life, even with our unique circumstances. We can't change what happened, but we can grow and use that strength and resilience to create a life that we love. I'm here to share everything I know about grief, motherhood, loss, marriage, friendship, and parenting. I'm here to encourage you to find the beautiful side of grief. The side where we don't have to isolate ourselves or suppress the need to share our stories. The side where you have moms just like you to support and encourage you the side where we become the best versions of ourselves, not in spite of our loss, but thanks to it. Pregnancy loss is devastating, but it can also be an opportunity to reflect on who we were and who we want to become. So join me every Tuesday for a new episode on the Pregnancy Loss Podcast. Let's jump in. Today on the podcast, I am so excited to introduce Barb Higgins. Barb is an author who had a baby at 57 and lost her 13 year old daughter from these experiences. She was inspired to write her book, motherland, which just came out. You guys, a teacher and grief coach, Barb is skilled at taking life's tragedies and using them to fuel her everyday experiences. Ever since Barb emailed me, I have been listening to her podcast. She also has one called a thousand tiny little steps, and it is just her journey through life. And She is such a storyteller and the way that she tells her story, she is just, you connect to her instantly. She's so authentic and funny and real. And I think you guys will really appreciate this conversation. So let's jump in.
1: Hi, Barb. Thank you so
0: much for being here.
1: Well, thank you very much for having me. This is great. Yeah. Yay.
0: Um, so everybody heard the intro and I would just love you to, I don't know how to sum up your story, but I just tell us <laughs> about yourself and like all the things, <laughs>
1: all the, all the things. Okay. Well, um, all the things, my story is a relatively unique story, but I also think a lots of things I've gone through are things a lot of people go through, but we don't like to talk about them. Does that make sense? So oh, yeah. I'm, you know, your very standard typical New England mom, uh, wife, uh, teacher, coach. You know, I, I live a very normal life, nothing out, nothing outrageous about it whatsoever. Um, however, within all of that, I've had an amazing athletic career. I've had an incredible child journey um with both ends of the spectrum, utter utter tragedy and complete joy um and i think my whole life is kind of that way so as a mother i didn't even think i would ever have kids quite honestly uh i was always going to be the crazy aunt um i come from a family of real generational abuse and my sister and i decided that's it we're stopping it we're just not going to have kids and she hasn't um and i think she goes back and forth with feeling good about that but uh i wasn't going to and it wasn't until i was 36 and had became pregnant with with baby Gordy and he was my first pregnancy and I didn't know I was pregnant with him for 14 weeks I was on the pill at the time I was working out heavily you know I was just I wasn't even thinking that I could potentially be pregnant and I'm you know living my life and you know it was sort of May turning into June and I'm like why am I suddenly do I have boobs and why am I gaining weight and why you know like why am I outrageously moody like i had all of these things happening to me and i couldn't put my finger on what it might be and i was i woke up early one morning um and i felt this big giant like rock in my stomach and i'm on my tummy in the bed and i'm like uh-oh i think i know what this is like like what <laughs> so so i had to wait for the pharmacy to open and i went down and got a pregnancy test and i mean the the urine hadn't even made its way to the window yet when the lines were popping up, you know, like it was just like, bam, totally pregnant. pregnant Yes. Well, I was 14 weeks pregnant at that time. And, you know, with pregnancy tests, the way they are now, you, you can know you're pregnant before you're late for your period. So I remember, you know, Kenny and I were, had just been together, not even a year at that time. I, I was on the pill, um, but what I didn't know at the time was that when, if you take antibiotics, you negate the pill. Um, and so I had been really sick, uh, the month of March and I've been on antibiotics for about two weeks. So there you go. Amoxicillin and yeah. low estrin are not a good mix. <laughs> so, so I, I went you know and had all I, sorts I, of, I know it's like, I'm a health since then I got certified to teach health and. That's one of the things I tell the high school age girls all the time. Look, if you're using birth control, please know certain things can totally interfere with its ability to work. Um, and I didn't, I didn't know that at all at the time. Yeah. So by the time I found out I was pregnant, um, I was, you know, uh, you know, done with my first trimester essentially. So I had a bunch of testing. I was 36. That's considered a geriatric pregnancy, <laughs> which that word just makes me laugh, um, especially because 36 seems pretty young to me now. Um, and so I had all sorts of testing and that baby had a really significant heart defect. Uh, and so the 10 weeks that I knew I was pregnant with him, um, it was test after test after test and heartbreak after heartbreak after heartbreak. And I lost him at 24 weeks. So went to the hospital and delivered. And that was a very beautiful experience. I have to say that the hospital was tremendous. Um, you know, it was it, I mean it was a hear. traumatic experience. But yes, they were so good, so good to us. Um and so we donated his little body to Philadelphia Children's Hospital because they have a really incredible cardiac research unit there. And so he had just several things wrong with that teeny tiny heart. And, you know, I hadn't I hadn't been pregnant with him long enough to feel like, oh no, I better bury him here. I want to go visit him all the time. I know that might sound coarse, but you know, I only knew him for 10 weeks and the whole time I knew him, I knew he might not live. So it was one of those, it was a relationship that was quite different than with my others. What baby Gordy gave me though, was the desire to be a mother. The 10 weeks I got to know that I was pregnant with him and interact with him and see him on ultrasound screens and feel him kick and then, you know, deliver him made me realize that, okay, I guess I do want to have babies. (laughs) Um, And so, so we, we, donated him to Philadelphia. I, about a year after this experience, I received a letter from that hospital with a, like an autopsy report and a summary and, a, and an unbelievable letter of thanks and gratitude from the staff there, because it's one thing to look at blood work and look at an ultrasound picture, but to see right there in 3D what you're looking at, they were able to come up with some tools to fix the heart enough to allow the baby to survive nine months and be born. Um, So babies with the same heart defect that Gordy have can now have a chance of living, surviving a pregnancy and being born. So it gave me like incredible relief sort of that, that this horrible experience for me would at least help, help other moms that might have a baby with this terrible heart defect. That story comes back when we get into Jack's story. Um, so then, my motherhood journey was very standard and typical. um Gracie came in two thousand one, Molly in two thousand three Easy pregnancies. one of the things that weighs on me sometimes in my grief journey around losing Molly is that um I had every test imaginable during my pregnancy with Gracie because I had lost baby Gordy and she was perfectly fine and healthy so when i got when I was pregnant with Molly. The wonderful hospital, the same hospital that I delivered Gordy at, asked, "Did I want to have all the high risk testing again?" And I said no because I felt like, you know, that was that was then. This is now. Gracie was he- healthy and fine. This will be fine. Had I had a lot of that testing, Molly's brain tumor was a fetal cell tumor, so it would have potentially shown up had I done all of that that testing that I did with Gracie.
0: Is that so? Of course, that thing that would have shown up on the ultrasound or like slept work that would have
1: shown up? Um, I believe it it would have shown up in the ultrasound. So because it showed up in a CAT scan, normally non-tumorous, non-cancerous tumors don't show in CAT scans. When they finally did a CAT scan on Molly, it showed up. So it would have shown up in a, in an ultrasound. Yeah. So that was heart wrenching because, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do all those things. Um, And this is what moms do. We question every move we make over and over. So raising, yes, yes. Big time. So raising Gracie and Molly, very, you know, typical little, little girls. They loved each other really, really close, Loved to dance and all of that. And about six months before Molly died, she started having terrible headaches. Um, We took her to the doctors again and again. And it's, is a standard fare. I think sometimes with young girls and teenage girls, everything is attributed to hormones, drama, stress, and Molly had gone from a chunky sort of solid build to alarmingly skinny. Now, I was alarmingly skinny all my life, always always accused of being you know, an anorexic, and I wasn't. I was just wicked skinny. So I just assumed she's skinny like me. Hindsight now tells me that her appetite was really altered by the growth of the tumor. So the tumor was in her brainstem. And so from about this time of year, Christmas, this is when she really started to have headaches in 2015 until her death in May of 2016, migraines, vomiting, tingly tongue, tingly face. And we just went to the doctors again and again and again. And every time we went, they had some very logical explanation for what might be happening, but it just wasn't getting better. And it was escalating. And there was this just staunch refusal to do any imaging, like just do an x-ray of her head, like just do a CAT scan. Like these things don't take all that long. Um, Finally, at the end of April, we we had gone like once a week. She was having these episodes. She'd wake up in the morning vomiting and and not able to move and then about 2 or 3 hours later she'd be completely fine. It would it would just end and then she'd be fine. And she'd have it a good couple of weeks and then she would have it again. We took her to the ER. She she laid in that ER for 16 hours. They gave her medicine for pain. She fell asleep and she essentially never woke up. And then the tumor burst inside of her head and killed her. So 16 hours in an ER and she died there. Um and had they just done a CAT scan at any time, they could have at least alleviated the pressure and gotten her um to the a bigger hospital to remove the tumor. They removed the tumor. They they did once it burst and she was sort of on life support, they took the tumor out and um were hoping that she would wake up, that maybe maybe the damage wasn't so disastrous, but it was in her brainstem, and that's all your basic body functions. So you know, it wasn't like up, up in the top of your head where it's vision or hearing or balance or those kinds of things. It was, it was breathing and chewing and digestion, all the basic body functions. So she spent a few days on life support. We had a massive amount of people come say goodbye to her. And then we had to remove her from life support um, and, you know, bury her and start a life without her. So my two child loss journeys were both actually quite brief in terms of, knowing the illness i didn't have you know i had really just seven days of molly you know dying and then having to pull her off life support burying her it wasn't like i had months and months of knowing she was going to die it was very sudden in my whole pregnancy that i was aware of with gordy he was sick so so in some ways it's a similar sort of time frame um but I will say as traumatic and tragic as the loss of Gordy was. And at the time it was horrible. I I was not okay for months and months. I'm still not okay with Molly. And it's seven years later, you know, it's a, it's a different beast when you've, when you've got 13 years with somebody and you've invested in all of those memories and the future you think you're going to have and, and all of that. So that's where Jack arrives. Um, I, uh, I would say two or three months after losing Molly, I started having these really random dreams. And trust me, at that time, I was having a lot of a lot of dreams. But I started having this persistent dream that I was supposed to have a baby. And I I would have it two or three times a week. And sometimes it was super intense. And sometimes it was a dream where I was just sitting with a group of people having a conversation and all like I had a dance mom dream. And we're all on a porch and we're drinking wine. And 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 they're all saying, Barb, have a baby. You should do it. Oh, you know, drink this kind of wine. Like, you know, and I'd wake up like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'm supposed to have this baby. Um, now, because of Molly's, this, the circumstances around her death, we um, hired an attorney and, and were, were engaged in a lawsuit. And that was a two-year experience. So I started having the dream of to have the baby. Kenny and I, you know, I, I went through some testing by myself. When, it, when I realized I probably could do it, that's when I went to Kenny. Hey, Kenny, <laughs> I've, I've been having these dreams. And <laughs> I have a question for you. And, um, and so he looked at me, you know, and he, and he said, okay, sure. And so then he started coming with me to all these doctor's appointments. So we got the okay. And trust me, at my age, I was 53 at the time, which seems very young now. Um, the testing you have to go through to make sure that you're healthy enough to do this is extensive. I, you know, you have to have an update mammogram. You have to have an up-to-date colonoscopy. You have to have an up-to-date EKG. You have to have up-to-date blood work. You spend two hours with a, with a therapist, um, just co- having a conversation about family life and your history. And, you know, and so of course we had the death of Molly, which adds a huge X factor to my ability to be a stable parent. Right. Um, cause it's not like I'm just, you know, making this baby by myself, you know, I have a doctor in an office who's, who's signing off on the fact that they're willing to do this. And that's a lot of liability when you think about it. Um, And so we went through all of that testing and then you have to do, they fill you up with hormones and they test your, like the, your uterine lining and how thick it gets. They do what's called a hysteroscopy. They take a little bit of your uterine, uterine lining out and test it for things. And after all of that, it was maybe winter into spring of 2017. So coming up on a year, after Molly died, I got the okay you are we are willing to do this, of course, then they put the price tag on it and and I still wasn't back to work, and we were barely functioning as a family still, and so we basically said, we'll be back. you know we have to put this on hold, we'll be back so two thousand seventeen into two thousand eighteen was just the lawsuit, just finalizing the lawsuit, all of the horrible depositions and testimony and all that goes into a an event like that. We ended up settling, which is typically what's, what happens with medical malpractice. Very, it's not very often that you go to court. Typically, the hospital's insurance company just wants it to go away. So it just becomes a money thing, which is ugly. Um, so we settled in June of 2018, which, of course, saved us financially now because we have this lawsuit. So I hadn't had the dream for about a year. I, I, had set, I looked up at the sky and said, look, I did everything I can. I can't do this baby right now. Stop hounding me, and the dreams went away completely. Went away. We settle the lawsuit at the end of June. Mid July rolls around, and I have the dream. So I wake up and I'm like, "Hi, dang!" <laughs> you know, like it came back. So I'm sitting on the porch and I'm having my coffee, and Kenny, you know, shuffles on down, and I'm like, "Hey, guess what dream I had last night?" He went, "The baby dream." I'm like, "Yes." So I <laughs> called the doctor. So. Let me also say one of the byproducts of grief for me was the ginormous amount of medication I was taking. So I have a mouth condition called trigeminal neuralgia, which is incredibly painful nerve condition. So I was on three medications for that, a nerve block and two anti-seizure meds because the, the condition stems from a nerve center in your brain. None of those can be taken when you're pregnant. I was on every sort of anti anxiety anti depressant anti panic helped me sleep helped me wake up i was really five or six different medications i think about it now and i don't know how i function, except i think i was so distraught that they sort of made me normal but i had to go off all of that all of that medication i have a new and healthy and profound respect for uh hardcore drug, drug addicts that come clean because i was modif- i was moderated i went to my doctor and we laid it all out um, how I could get off all those medicines what, this all started with returning to Dr. Cardoni, my wonderful italian i v f doctor who I will love until the day I die and hes and he was happy to have us back. all my testing was up to date and current, but it, when he looked at my medication list, he's like, This has to go and that was and that was along this right so so one by one my my primary care doctor was phenomenal this Dr Laura. And we sat down with a big calendar and all my medications on, on the table in front of us. And we just wrote it out, like just with a pencil on a calendar, what medicines I took, how many per day. And then we just, we just all right, this week, you, you, we'll cut down on this one for two weeks. By the time we're almost done with that, we'll begin cutting down on this one. By the time you're, you're off the first one, you'll be almost off the second. It was a huge process. Started August yeah. 1st, finished December 1st. It took me August, September, October, November four months to come off Xanax and Lamictal and Lorazepam and you know all of those, all of those drugs, plus the topramate and Topramax and Tegretol and Gabapentin, all, all of the things I was on for my brain and my brain, right? For my heart and my soul and everything else. That was not an experience I would wish upon anybody. It was really difficult. I heard the ocean in my ears for weeks. I felt tingly and numb. I wanted to be asleep in the daytime. I was awake all night. It was it was really, really one of the most difficult things I've ever done. I get to December. So I realize now that the pain in my face is going to be far too intense to be off this medication for a pregnancy. Like, no way can this happen. So I find a doctor in New York City um, who specializes in trigeminal neuralgia. And so I email him explain my situation that I want to have a baby. Would would he be willing to look at me? And he said, sure. Have an MRI with contrast. He gave me this whole prescription. So I went to my local neurologist, gave her the email from the guy in New York City, Dr. Um, Eskandar, and went for an MRI. So I come home from the MRI, maybe December 10th or 11th, like really just 2018. So five years from like right now. And Kenny and I are having coffee at the kitchen table and the phone rings. And I look and it says Concord Neurological Associates. And I just look at them because you never get a phone call an hour after an imaging test with good news ever. If it's good news, there's no phone call. So I just thought, oh, what, what now? So I answer the call and sure enough, they found three brain tumors in my head. So Molly died of a brain tumor. Kenny's on kidney dialysis still because he's so sick, needing a kidney transplant. Poor Gracie's a senior in high school. Like all she wants is a normal senior year. We're still reeling from the loss of Molly. And now I have like brain tumors in my head. So I went down to New York city with one of my good friends, Deb, she went down with me. Uh, Kenny stayed home with Gracie cause it was, you know, just too much to handle all at once. And we, he looked at the MRI and he just, he was, he was amazing. He took my hands in his hands and just said, you tell Gracie, we'll take care of this. You're going to be fine. He could tell because it was the type of, my blood work was normal. So I wasn't fighting a cancerous tumor. So he knew it was likely benign. Um, but I will say when I went down in January for the tumor removal, he thought it would be a little teeny, little teeny hole in my head and just take it right out. And when I woke up from that surgery, <laughs> if you look on my Facebook, you'll see it in there. I was completely I bald. I had a, yeah. <laughs> I can't believe you went, Yeah. I woke up and Kenny's crying and I'm like, why are you crying? You know, I'm just out of it. Um, Because he, you know, he had been at dialysis all day. You know, they set up his kidney dialysis for him down there. We're staying in this nice hotel. I mean, I'm in the hospital and he comes to see me thinking that, you know, I'll look normal with like a little, a little hole in my head. And I'm like, you know, black eye. And yeah. So, so that was a profound experience. Um, And so all of the beginning of 2019 was all about, fixing me, getting the tumors out. The little ones that were on the other side of my head needed to be radiated. That was a Hannibal Lecter experience. They had me in this nice face mask, like, you know, like oh my God. bolted to a bed. Yeah, it was really, that was, you know, a lot of Xanax for that, by the way. <laughs> Calm down.
0: I can um, imagine.
1: Yeah. Oh God. They played great eighties music for me too. I said, just play me cheesy eighties songs and I'll be fine. So there's all this eighties music blasting in the room and I'm I'm lying there. Um, so that that worked fine. And then in April, I had another brain surgery, another craniotomy to fix the nerve condition. So from December 10th to April 10th, I had MRI, doctor's appointment, tumor removal, tumor radiation, mouth repair, like in like in a four-month, you know, January, December to April. So then we go to Disney to recover. I'm bald, you know, in the doing terrible. And one of Gracie and Molly's really good friends is on life support and ends up passing away from anaphylaxis from a peanut allergy. She ate food with peanuts in it at a restaurant and didn't know. That family, they were a dance family. So they were very, very supportive when Molly died. They ended up giving Kenny one of that girl's kidneys. Her name was Rachel. So Kenny gets a kidney transplant from a girl named Rachel. Rachel danced in Molly's funeral. Like she was in, we had a big memorial service for Molly that involved yeah. That big performance. So the kidney that lives inside of Molly's dad danced at Molly's funeral. Like, like we talk, we talk to his kidney all the time. Cause how do you not right? you know? Hey Rach, you know, and, 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 uh, and so now we have this miraculous thing where Kenny is healthy. He's had this transplant. I've had my head fixed. So we go, we go back to Dr. Cardoni. Okay. We're ready. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> you know, like, so, but he was, he was just, Into it, he was just into it. So we start the whole process. We go, we go through. You know, it's all of eighteen and two thousand eighteen and two thousand nineteen. It was several, several months. We do our first IVF transfer in August of two thousand nineteen, and it does not work. So I thought, okay, maybe the whole purpose of having that dream was to help me find the brain tumors because although they were not cancerous, the location of one of them would have been life ending for me had it not come out. So, excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. So, so I thought, okay, I wasn't really supposed to have a baby, but but Molly or whoever on the other side knew that I was never going to stop the medicine if I, you know, they, you know. And I would never I would never have stopped the medicine, which means I never would have heard enough to try to fix my mouth, which means I never would have found the brain tumors. Does that make sense? Yeah, so um, I go back to Doctor Cardoni and and I said, um, "So what do you think?" And he just grins at me. He's like, "Do you want to try again?" And I'm like, "Yes." So he takes he goes, "So do I." And he takes takes a pad of paper out. He's like, "It's not you. You are fine. It's him." So the the Kenny's contribution to the pregnancy was pre kidney transplant. So now he's got Rachel's kidney in there, right? And he's all healthy. So we just, we just did, we just redid the sperm extraction and, and now we have this yeah, healthy sperm, right? So we tried again. Okay. So of course our, 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 our date for our transfer date was March of 2020. And what happened in March of 2020? COVID. Okay. So it just got put on the shelf. So March, April, May, June, I'm just sort of um, maintaining hormones. You know, we're just sort of waiting around, waiting around. And the moment that Dr. Cardoni could bring back patients. The only patients he kept through COVID were the ones that were heavily, like, couldn't stop, that were far enough in that they had to keep being seen. So he called me at the end of June and he goes, Get down here. So, seriously, the end of June, I went down and and did the specifics for the cycle. Um, And at the end of July, I had the IVF transfer. It was July 26th. I turned 57 on July 29th and found that I was pregnant August 5th. And then I had pregnancy number four. So this pregnancy was secretive. Nobody knew I was pregnant at all. Zero people knew for the first 13 weeks. And then a handful of people knew from 13 weeks to 22 weeks. And then I just told people as I ran into them, you know, I didn't do any big announcements. So I'd run into somebody with my my big belly and they'd be like, what? Like, what am I looking at here? Um, Yeah. (laughs) I'm <laughs> like, oh yeah, I would, have love, I would have
0: just... <laughs> oh. <laughs> love to see that.
1: Oh, that it was, I yeah, I was in like Marshall's once and a teacher friend came and she's talking away and her eyes keep going down and they keep going down. They keep going down. I'm like, what are you looking at? And she just stops. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm pregnant. And she's like, wah, you know, but it was just, people don't know what to do. You know, we, you have to be yeah. so careful with commenting on people's bodies. Um, my other favorite was I would tell somebody, hey, I have some news for you. I'm 20, I'm 25 weeks pregnant with a baby boy. And like, just like, you know, grace, gray, like stone face, like nothing, no, no response whatsoever because no one even knows what to do with that information. Like, are you making yeah. that up? Are you kidding? And then when they really get it, no, touch my belly. Go ahead. There's a baby in there. It was 99% excited. Some people just thought I was nuts, yeah. but I probably am. And that's that's right. quite fine. Yep.
0: Not their journey.
1: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And then I, at 34 weeks, I was diagnosed with preeclampsia, which thankfully it has nothing to do with age. This is where I feel like really lucky with the doctors that I had, both Dr. Cardoni and Dr. Shottery, um, who delivered, well, who was my OB while I was pregnant with Jack here. Both of them said, you need to create a safety wall around you. These kinds of things can really open up people for judgment. And the last thing you need is is external judgment from people that are not important to you around the fact that you're pregnant and having a baby at your age. And if something were to happen, like my local OB, he was like, we tell nobody until we have done every test we can do to ensure that your baby is healthy and fine. And if something were to happen that it's not necessarily related to age, like he got it, he just got it, that don't open yourself up to judgment, have a healthy baby, then tell the world. And I, you know, I have a big mouth. I likely would have told a ton of people. So, but we didn't. And I'm really grateful for that now because we could have a very quiet birth. It wasn't like I wasn't hounded by reporters while I was delivering a baby, but it didn't take long. Um, so I, I, I was due April 13th and Jack was born March 20th. So it wasn't way early, but early enough. Um, and I, but I had a super easy delivery. You know, when you have preeclampsia, you have high blood pressure, um, you have protein in your urine, you have a really low platelet count. So the low platelets and the high blood pressure are the two biggest issues because that that high blood pressure can cause a stroke, low platelets, low platelets can cause hemorrhaging. So those are two things you don't mess around with. But I was <clears throat> I was perfectly fine. I went in on Friday night. They gave me magnesium for the high blood pressure. They stripped my membranes. <clears throat> I woke up in the morning in labor. Super easy, super quick. So I didn't even think I was in labor. I, I woke up and thought, huh, maybe they never came to give me Pitocin. Maybe I'm not in, maybe I'm not having a baby. I ordered breakfast. I'm eating breakfast. I'm chatting with Kenny on the phone. I'm you know, <laughs> drinking my coffee. Like, really, I just think I'm fine. Yeah. And uh, the nurse comes in. She goes, oh, you're feeling okay? I'm like, yeah, are we not having a baby? And she's like, Uh, you're in labor. Your contractions are like two minutes apart right now. I'm like, huh. Well, okay. I don't, I don't feel them. Um, So they, so they weren't super strong, but they were, they were regular. So they checked me out, you know, they did an uh, internal exam and I was almost fully effaced already and like six centimeters dilated and I didn't even feel anything. So that was at 10 o'clock. So Kenny came up to the hospital um, and Jack was born at 1230. So I had basically like 90, when they broke my water, my contractions got intense, like horrible. So I was like, you know what? I want an epidural. I'm not going to hurt like this all day. And they they just looked at me like, <laughs> you know, he's going to come out like like I just hadn't been laboring like there was. It was sort of like my first pregnancy where okay, you're pregnant. Okay, you're actually halfway through your pregnancy. You know, like there was no time for me to formulate the fact that I was in labor because I just wasn't feeling the increase in contractions yeah. and all that. So I laid down at about twelve twenty five, twelve thirty or so. And they said, Oh, his head's right here. Give us a push. And so I sort of gave a half hearted push. And uh, and they said, Oh, come on now. Next contraction, give us a good push. And so I gave a really good CrossFit, you know, weightlifting, strong, strong push. <laughs> and he came flying out, just one push, the one push wonder. And so there he was, a little five pound Jack, um, crying and healthy and 18 inches long. And, you know, he muckled onto my Grammy boobs and started nursing. And he had a little bit of trouble because he was early. <laughs> And, uh, but you know yeah i I was actually this is a funny little sidebar. I was nursing him, and one of the o b s was like two weeks away from retiring, so she was probably my age a little older, and she came in and she scolded me for trying to nurse. you know, you're too old to do that. I'm like, well, I grew him, and I think I just pushed him out, and there's milk coming out, so I'm not quite sure I'm too old to do this, so it was just it was there were some of those kinds of reactions where. You know, she's looking at me, telling me you need to give that baby formula. I'm like, well, I'm not going to, but thank you. You know, it was interesting. Yeah, no, I'm good. Now I did supplement with Jack, but I supplemented with breast milk from a, from a, there's a Facebook group in New Hampshire called human milk for human babies. And it's this just amazing group of women. It's a constantly changing group of women who produce a ton Mm -hmm. of milk and are willing to share it. And so I actually, a friend of mine, um, who had a baby shortly after Jack was born, I had a whole bunch from a woman named Jackie that was moving away. Her daughter had weaned. She had a freezer full of breast milk. That that milk lasted me all summer. It was the most amazing gift. And then my friend Kelsey started. And she was great. Every Sunday, she'd come over with what she'd been able to give to me. And her children would write little notes to Jack on it. Enjoy the milk, Jack. You know, like, (laughs) it was just sweet. So I would nurse and um, pump. And then I would supplement with her milk. And she had a ton of colostrum. So she gave me a ton of that. And she's like, anytime you think he's sick or when you're all sick in your house, feed him this because, you know, it's so full of the antibodies. So so I ended up supplementing, but I was lucky enough to supplement with breast milk, which was, I wish I had known about that when I lost baby Gordy because my milk came pouring in, you know, back then I had these giant boobs for weeks and I would have pumped and shared that milk in a heartbeat, but it was 1999 and it just wasn't social media hadn't caught on like it is now. Um, So there was no way to tell anyone you had this breast milk and nobody even suggested I pump it and donate it. So that was sort of a neat change from pregnancy number one to pregnancy number four is this community of uh, breastfeeding moms who um, are willing to share their milk. I have a friend who, who had a really impossible time nursing and didn't really want to, but she really felt she had that sort of mom guilt around formula, which we need to stop. You know, there's a lot of things to feel guilty about. Feeding your baby formula isn't one of them. You know, we have to honor everyone's journey. But I hooked her up with this group. And so she was able to give her baby breast milk for a year. And she just felt like, like empowered by that. So that was sort of a, that's like a tender little story for me because she was able to be the kind of mom she wanted to be. You know, and I think back to 200 years ago, if you couldn't nurse your baby, you gave the baby to someone who could, you know, you had wet nurses that nursed a million babies, not just their own. Um, so that was sort of fun. So, so in a nutshell, that's my parenting story. I have given birth to four beautiful babies, two girls and two boys. I'm lucky enough to have two of them here with me. And I guess blessed enough to have two in heaven that even though they definitely weren't here long enough, you know, I, the gifts from Gordy and Molly are too many to count. And so I have to look at it that way because looking at it the other way is just a lifetime of, despair and and neither of those babies would want me to be sad all the time, you know i I just don't think they would I think they'd want me to be happy I know when you when I
0: was um in Molly's story and you guys you talked about the hundreds and hundreds of people that came It was amazing I think we especially i mean she's lived life, so she's had the impact on all these people or relationships yes. or whatever. And even when you lose a baby that didn't get to live life, the impact if you allow yes. a community to surround you yes. is pretty astounding. Yes. um I don't have a very close family um me and my husband just don't they're you know, he was in the military. So we were off 3000 miles away when it happened. He was 7,000 miles away in Japan while I gave birth to Evelyn. And (sighs) I didn't, I had some friends, like I lived in the military community and I had my everyday friends and stuff like that. But I, um, when a baby dies, you don't think about that. It's kind of like when, (sighs) when Evelyn died, I just wanted to hide. I didn't want people to see me because they knew I was pregnant and now I wasn't. And I didn't have a baby and I was just <sighs> full of shame. And
1: yes, yes, I didn't
0: know how, I didn't know how to reach out to other people. I didn't know right. anybody who had lost a baby. And this was 2019. So yeah. I mean, this is like 20 Ugh. years after you had your loss and people yes. still aren't right. sharing their stories. No. Um, so it's just crazy. But. The community, that's the part that I'm trying to build
1: for yes, moms yes. that I find. Yes, and what you're doing creates an unbelievably safe way to connect. When I lost Molly, one of the biggest things that helped me was social media, online groups for ch- people that have lost children. I was on my phone all day messaging other moms, reading the stories of others. Sometimes I just scrolled. I didn't want to comment on anything, yeah. but it just calmed me down you know, like, okay, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I'm not alone. And then my favorite posts were the ones when the mothers were losing, just losing their shit, falling apart, like a mess. And not that I was glad they were upset, but it made me feel so much better about my own chaotic brain and all that I was failing at and how horrible my life was and what was going on with me. Super, super helpful. I did a book launch for Motherland, the book that I wrote. And the first thing I said, when I opened up that book launch and like 90 people came, it was really, really affirming. I said, child loss is the single most isolating thing I've ever experienced. Now I've been sexually assaulted. I've lost siblings. I've had lifelong illness. I've had a job loss. I've had lots and lots of things that could be equally as isolating, but there's something about child loss that's obscene to people. And I think it's because it's so wrong that people don't want to acknowledge it can exist. Because if you and I can lose a baby, then anyone can lose a baby right I mean, and so they can they I, don't want that yes they don't want it to yes, think about exactly. that exactly and so you that you get shut off something else i've come to realize and i was talking about this with a um with a woman that also does a podcast around childbirth and children and babies and um is that um mothers when you're growing a baby you, you're sharing blood you're sharing oxygen you're sharing nutrients you're sharing feelings and emotions and you're neurologically connected. So the brain, your two brains lay down neurological pathways that connect. No one else in your, in your life, in your reality, is connected to your children the way you are, because all your neural pathways respond to neural pathways in those brains. Evelyn's brain, full of neural pathways, is still a massively active piece of your brain. So the grief and the and the response neurologically and emotionally that mothers experience is unmatched. It's not that dads aren't sad, but there isn't a bunch of neurons going off in their heads saying, Hello, hello, baby, where are you? Where are you? You know, and that's forever. Um, if when you learn to ride a bike, you lay you know, you your brain learns those movements. So you don't ride a bike for twenty years. You jump back on. It takes a minute, but you get it back. Baby loss; those things never calm down. You just have to reroute them, or reuse them, or or teach yourself to use all those Evelyn responses, or Molly responses, or Gordy responses in a different way. And I think that sometimes is as big a piece of child loss grief for moms as the missing them and the and the sadness and the trauma and all of that. Um, and again, community is a huge piece because because when I talk about Molly to you, I have no anxiety that. You're not going to want to hear what I have to say, because I know that anything I say to you is going to either add to your own journey or give you connection or teach you something that you're willing to hear. Whereas moms that haven't gone through this, it's it's just a panic, you know? So if some mom that's never lost a baby can listen to you and I have this conversation, they can go, oh, Okay. Oh, that makes sense. You know, like, and, and then our grief and our behavior is somewhat explained, you know, like I have a connection to you that I don't have to a lot of other moms. And that's because we have this horrible thing that happened, you know, what a crappy way to know each other, but I love knowing <laughs> you because, you know, it's one more person, one more person that, you know, that sits at my, that sits around my campfire of life. Right.
0: Yeah. And I feel too, when you, with moms, like us, we, celebrate their babies too or their children yes so like yes. now i mean since we connected i think about molly and jack yes. and gordy and gracie yes. they're not my kids yes. you know i don't know them personally yes. but when i read something or think about something i'm like oh you know and then i'll just like right. i hope you're okay i hope you're doing well right. i hope you're yep you know and i'll send out cards to like When I had my loss, I had people secretly reaching out to me, you know, in my messages. They didn't want everybody else to know, but they wanted me to know. And then I would set um, alarms in my calendar for their birthdays. And I would always, Mm -hmm. I always send messages and I'm like, I know this is, you know, baby so-and-so's birth week. I'm thinking about him or her. I love you. Like the fact that our children won't be forgotten because right. other moms Huge. like us always right. remember
1: yes yes so oh that's, always that was all the time one. Yeah. yeah yeah i just yeah. find that amazing <coughs> and I, know, I named um oh go ahead no i'm sorry no, do you want me to fine. go okay so <laughs> so jack so gordy's name was kenny's dad and my dad so gordon thomas then I named Gracie. Her name is Ember Grace. I named her after a runner. Kenny named Molly. Her name is Mary Elizabeth, which is his mother's name. We called her Molly. When it came time for Jack, we thought, okay, we have to share that we have to share the naming again. So I met two moms early on in my Molly grief, a woman named Lisa, who lost her daughter Marie, or Marilee, and a woman named Brandy, who lost her son Jack. And so I said to Kenny, I know that Marilee is close to Mary, which was Molly's name, but I don't care. If this is a girl, her name will be Marilee, and you can choose the middle name. And if this is a boy, his name will be Jack, and you can choose the middle name. And of course, I reached out to these moms to say, okay, crazy me, I'm having a baby. And if it's a girl, I'd like to, you know, and both of those moms were like, oh, my God, of course. Like, they just, so when I found out it was a boy, and now it's Jack. So Brandy's surviving children love Jack-Jack. We we met up at Disney, amazing time. And and Charlie and Bella were just like, jack they love having an alive brother named Jack yeah. after their brother who's in heaven. Like it was just this amazing connection. And, and Brandy's just one of my people. And I, you know, she lives in Washington. I live in New Hampshire, you know, where we couldn't be more far apart and farthest apart, but yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, but when I'm having a moment, she knows it. And when she's having a moment, I know it. And we just, you know, we'll just say one or two words to each other and it's just like, everything is okay. So, yeah. So I love it. Anytime. And we have I have, Yeah, and I have Jack's picture on the fridge, her Jack, and we talk to him every day. We say hi to him. I'm looking at another picture of him. We just—he's a part of it, and and yeah. So that's a fun—that's a fun little sidebar as well. I have these connections, these other kids that I feel like I know them, and I never met them. No, yeah, I always
0: look and see. Hi, Evelyn. She's always right here with me. Yes. Oh, I—I mean, um. Well, when I had her and we lived in Washington, we were like, we ha- we knew we were going to have to leave. So we're like, you yeah. can't bury her here. And I wasn't no. chipping her body off somewhere, you know, to be buried by p- grandparents. I don't know. And I'm like, and I've never, I've right. never experienced death in my entire life other than right. my dog who died a couple of years before. But yeah, so I didn't know, like just the, There was something you said when we first started talking about just how fast it happens, like how quickly things went with Molly, how, you know, quickly things went with Gordy and people like the people who haven't gone through this don't realize how quick the death and the burial happen. And in all that space, there's like a million memories and thoughts and emotions that get like balled up in this treasure chest. Yes, yes. You can't go through it. You have to make decisions. You have to choose what happens. You have you you don't have time to feel what's going on yet. Right.
1: Absolutely. And then
0: Absolutely. It's like the week happened. I mean, it that's about the time frame I feel like. Somebody dies and they're buried, about a week, you know, between all the yep. decisions, trips to the funeral home and all this stuff. Mm. And then right. you get home and there's no more people around and then things just start flooding in. And then that's what you're left to sift through basically alone. I mean, of course, unless you have a family.
1: Yeah. But sometimes you're surrounded by people and you're still alone, you know? Oh yeah. It's, it's yeah. But I can't imagine. Now with baby Gordy, Kenny and I, you know, we had both come out of unhappy marriages when we met. And so my divorce was final. His was not. Um, We were living together, but, We weren't, you know, we weren't ready to get married. There was having a baby was not a part of the plan. So we told nobody, no one, no one even knew I was pregnant. It was summer. I was getting to the point in August where it was going to be impossible to hide. My mother figured it out. Mothers can tell. She's like, you're pregnant. And I'm like, okay. And so I, so she knew that was it. We went up to that hospital to deliver our baby alone. And we came home alone and we put it all away and nobody knew. Sometimes I feel okay about it because Kenny and I could just keep it as ours, and we could just grieve together, and there was no no one telling us how we should feel. I told a handful of people I told my sister-in-law and she was beautiful my mother, my mother when I was delivering, I came home, and she had brought a little blue baby blanket and a little baby toy, just like he should have toys, even though he'll never play with like I thought that was the kind, so I have this box in the attic with his little teeny footprints and and the little toys and two rolls of film that I never developed. We took a bunch of pictures. I should actually see if it's still developable. I hope so, but I had to put it away and, and I just dove into life. You know, I got super healthy. I started running a ton and lifting weights and thinking if I made my body perfect, then I could grow a healthy baby. And, you know, it's just, it, it was just, I look at that grief process and it's and it's your standard child loss reaction from a mom. I, I, I took it all in. I made it like it must've been my fault. What can I do differently? How can I fix this? You know, all of those things that go through your head. Um, and Molly, of course, was huge news, newspaper articles, and it was on the news and a thousand people at our memorial service. You know, it was this complete opposite scenario. But I will say I, I, I felt equally lonely in both, in yeah. both experiences because it's just me and Molly, just me and Gordy when it comes down to it, you and yeah. Evelyn, that's really what it is.
0: I know I always feel bad sometimes because yeah, John is her dad and she has siblings and, but there's something with the mom and her baby and it doesn't yes. matter how old your baby is. No, <laughs> no. It's a special.
1: Yeah. It's so special. Yeah. It's so sad. I'm, I
0: hate that babies yes. die and I hate the children I know.
1: die. Oh, I know. It's No, it's not right. It's just not right. I love. I I also really love looking at the ways people honor their children, and you know, in miscarriage and and stillbirth, you know, so many people are quick to say, "Well, you never had time to get to know that baby," or "Well, at least you can have another." Like sort of the things they say, trying to make you feel better. The the amount of loss and grief associated with those. I have a a family member that's have has had repeated miscarriages, some early, early, some halfway through, and and you know, a pregnant, a positive pregnancy test is, is equally joyful and horrifying because there's no knowledge of how that's going to turn out. Is this going to gut me again? Or will I come home with a baby? And, um, and I just think that the more that we can share these experiences, the more people see that there's a huge amount of loss and grief in a child you never get to meet in an alive manner. You know, I, I, I mean, I feel like I knew Baby Gordy really well. My favorite memory of him—it was an ultrasound, and he's his little legs and arms. He's going around. He's stuck, sucking his thumb. He takes his thumb out of his mouth and grabs his Winky. And Kenny's like, "Yay!" You know, like that's my boy. You know, it's just—it was just like the cutest. We just, oh my god, the whole room laughed, and you know, and I'd never been pregnant, so I'm I'm looking at this screen and I'm like, "Wow, that's happening inside of me right now," like that yeah. amazing like wow it's another world so, inside of yeah. me. yeah yep yep so my favorite ultrasound memory of Jack it was the day we found out he was a boy and they couldn't they couldn't get a good view and and all this and that so they said go to the bathroom so i went to the bathroom and they came back in and they got me back up there again and he was face down like totally splayed out face down hands over his head hands over his head i could see his little bum bum um and we knew he was a boy by then but he um and the nurse is like, did you have, did you have a couple of beers in there? Cause he just looked like he was passed out drunk. It was the cutest thing. <laughs> just face down. And his fate when he gets upset now, he'll lie down on the ground and he'll actually put his hands by his sides. So he just lays there on his tummy. And I'm like, ah, that's what you looked like the first time I yeah. saw you.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's probably muscle memory. Yeah. Kids, No, you know, yeah. the fetal, yep. fetal position thing, yep. position thing yep. where they'll lay like that because that's what they've yep. done. Yep and yeah, um, exactly what was i going to say i know um those are the things that are so hard to get other people to understand is that we have yeah. made these memories before they're ever born yes. like even a miscarriage even an early miscarriage you go to the doctor you have your first doppler your ultrasound or your your what are they the wand thingy like you have all these experiences that create the memories and you see these pictures of them and then we we build pictures in our brain which is where we we start building our future and we start oh when they're this age you know she'll have her cousins or we'll do this on Christmas or it's like these entire lives in these spheres that we've built
1: yes yes
0: and they're real to us yeah. And nobody else sees that. So it's kind of just like I I remember before I lost Evelyn and somebody would say, you know, I or I would hear about somebody having a miscarriage, I'd be like, "Oh, that's sad." That's it. I don't I don't attach feeling to that. I can't. Right. I can't imagine, I can't believe that babies die. Because right. that defeats the entire natural birth order of our world. Like yeah. the natural order pains. It
1: it's just wrong. It,
0: yep. It's not supposed to happen. And if yep. that can happen, What else can happen now? It like opens up this
1: whole (laughs) terrifying
0: world. Yeah. And most people don't want to know that. They don't want to know that. No,
1: no, no. I agree.
0: And two, with it being the holidays, I know we were kind of talking about that. Um, How, how are you able, do you have special traditions
1: that you include Molly,
0: Wordy, and your other kids in?
1: So for, so I never, you know, I, I found out I was pregnant with Gordy the last week of June and I delivered him the third week of August. So it was such a short period of time and there was no major holiday or family get together during that time. It was summer vacation. I'm a school teacher. Kenny and I spent most of our time alone. So there was never a tradition around, around him. Um, Molly, however, was the holiday queen. January 1st, she would get the new calendar and she would sit down and she would, you know, decorate each holiday on the calendar. And the rule in our house was you can't start talking about the next holiday until you're done with the one that's coming up. So no talking about, you know, St. Patrick's Day until Valentine's Day is over and no talking about Easter until St. Patrick's Day is over and no talking about Halloween. Like, you know, you had to because she would she would just obsess about that. Um, and the year before she died, we had amazing holidays. And I wonder sometimes if that's why they were so amazing. Like like every single holiday in 2015 and then Valentine's Day in 2016 and hers and, Ma- and Gracie's birthdays, they were all wonderful, like really wonderful, which makes me happy because that was the, our last. We, we did no holidays. So I came home from unplugging her May 7th, which was a Saturday. May 8th was Mother's Day. And I'm, and I just put on my Facebook page, do not come here and tell me happy Mother's Day. Just don't. And nobody did like nobody did, but it was just too much to even, I was just so angry and just dumbstruck. Um, so Gracie and Kenny and I had sort of a family meeting and we decided that we were not doing holidays at all. So 4th of July, which Molly loved, we just pulled the shades. We didn't go to fireworks. We, we had some people over cause it was a hot, sunny day. Friends of Molly's, like some people close. And we sort of hung out, but it wasn't to celebrate 4th of July. It was just like, we're here to help you be okay. We didn't celebrate, you know, we just we just pulled the shades. Um, we didn't do Thanksgiving. We ordered Chinese food and, and watched movies. Like we just, we just couldn't function. Um, that first Christmas, we drove to Florida and we stayed in a hotel and it was pouring rain and crappy weather and we just didn't care. But we did nothing. We did nothing the whole first year. The second year was exactly the same. Again, we just we just didn't want to deal with it. We just, we just avoided them completely. And then we've eased ourselves back in. So we still haven't, like, there's no Christmas tree in my house. And we were supposed to go to Florida this year. And we're redoing our kitchen. A bunch of things have come up and, we, and it doesn't make sense for us to go. So we just sat here this morning like, all right, we have to get a Christmas tree. And, you know, Jack has only experienced Christmas being at Disney. And he's little enough to not really have a clue just yet but we have to get it. We, you know, we're going to be here. We can't just not do Christmas and we sort of both want to do it. Like we all sort of feel like, okay, but but I think what we'll do is we'll recreate Christmas so that it won't be as similar as it was like, like I don't think I can pull the Christmas tree decorations down that that we always used to use. They're from my childhood. They're like, like someday, I think some summer day I would like to take those out and go through them and organize them. And, but I don't know that I could do that now with the, you know, the, the dark and the cold and the actual Christmas holiday. Yeah, lifetime of it's, it's, it. yes, exactly. So it's just, it's just difficult. Um, they've all been, they've all been difficult, but so we're, this is the eighth of everything. So Molly died May 7th. So it was the eighth, fourth of July and the eighth Halloween and the eighth Thanksgiving. And, you know, so we're over halfway through her life now of her not being here. So, Jack gives us an external focus. What can we do for Jack? So we're just going to get a little cute little tree. Yeah. Um we're going to put it in this little corner of our living room. We're going to put some lights on it. We'll we'll go buy some decorations that he might like. We'll have a tree and Santa will come yeah. and and we'll and we'll do it. I feel incredibly lucky that I didn't have a host of younger siblings that that still would would need I'm helping a mom out right now whose daughter just died. Her 15 year old daughter just died in October, and she's got two little boys. So her whole post yesterday was about taking out the decorations and decorating the house, and how how you know how awful it was for her. And she had to put on a smile because her little boys they want to be happy. Yeah, you know, children. I tell you, siblings in grief. You know, God bless God bless the babies. They want us to be happy. Um, so. I consider that a gift in some ways that I didn't have anyone younger than Molly. And Gracie was old enough that she could say, Look, I don't want to do Christmas either. Let's go to the beach. We've gone to Disney a couple of times. We went to Hawaii once. You know, like we've just eradicated the holidays as they were. But Jack's getting big enough now to notice. He sees Santa Claus, you know, he we're watching all the Christmas movies. He's, you know, we have our little elf on the shelf. Like we we have all these things. And those things disappeared for a long time. Um I took him out last year, the Elf on the Shelf, and Gracie was like, Mom, Mark is back. I'm like, he is? You know, like, Gracie's 20, of course she knows. <laughs> but we, but yeah, so, so we're easing back into it. But the worst thing you can say to a grieving mother, this is my opinion, but the last thing I need somebody to say to me is, well, come on, it's the holidays. You should be happy. You know, I shouldn't be anything. There's no should in this. If there's a should, it's yeah. that I should feel what I'm feeling with no judgment. You know, so if, so if exactly. if I need to lie in bed all Christmas day and cry, then that's what I'm going to do because to shove that down continually just prevents you from ever getting over it, you know? And so yeah. I don't think that will be the case for me. Um, but I, I just, I just, I give this, this mother permission. I, I thanked her for, thank you so much for sharing how horrible this was for you. Cause A, I can relate to it. B, you're sharing it. You're sharing it so others can learn people like me can commiserate and empathize and you're getting it out of you. And she messaged me yeah. and she's like, I so needed to hear that. All I get is you're doing fine. You're so strong. You can do it. I don't need cheerleading. I'm like, you don't, you need acknowledgement, you know? And um, yeah, Thanksgiving was hard for her. And I said, make sure you give yourself a full day, not to get out of bed. And she sort of sent me some question marks. I'm like, don't get out of bed. Don't get out of bed tomorrow. Stay in bed all day, invite everyone in, but don't get up. And so she didn't. And she and her her sons had this amazing little movie day and they brought her little treats and they all cried together and then they all laughed at a movie together and she just never got out of bed. And it's, you know, yeah. people don't think to say those things. They want us to be who we used to be. You'll never be the same mom you were before Evelyn. How can you be? You know, she's a part of who you are. I can't be the mom I was before Molly or before Gordy because, you know, they they existed in my life and then they didn't. So now I'm that mother. And and that's who I am yep. now. So, and look at you, you know, look I at what you're doing. Yeah. You know, you're, you're doing I this like amazing that. thing.
0: This trying. So are you. And I love,
1: it. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. think
0: too, normalizing though, that for you, so it's been eight years, eight years since Molly
1: died, right? Yep. It'll, it'll be eight years uh, in May.
0: So we're, we're in year eight. So, and it's still hard to get through holidays. Oh. For me, it's four years and it's, I'm just now feeling that I can, that I have the capacity and the energy to like be happy and Mm -hmm. start deck. Cause I was a huge, I I love holidays. I'm crazy about holidays, but then she died. And then not, I, you know, I stopped getting out decorations. I didn't want to do that. And I just didn't have the energy. I didn't have the mental wherewithal to do it. I didn't, I couldn't do it. And I'm just now starting to feel that. And I feel like something my therapist asked me, me and my husband went through something traumatic after Evelyn died and um, he had an affair. And oh, I'm sorry, my, our therapist is like, how long do you think this is going to take you to work through and get over? And me not experienced this ever. I'm like, Oh, a year, <laughs> a year. And I always go back to this question because that's what we go to. We think that yeah. it's like a year mark. is like, yeah, you and that's should be somehow. okay. Right. And hearing right. that it's still okay, that it's okay that it's eight years right. and you still have trouble. Like,
1: right. That's right.
0: not a problem. Right. And it's okay. Because oh, grief is love.
1: Yes. And grief is love. You don't stop loving Evelyn. So how do you stop grieving or loss? You know, like when I, I, I have like, I've put that little meme up, you know, grief equals love. And, um, yeah. When people look at it that way, they can be a bit more understanding. I also use the, the analogy that, um, like I know it takes nine months to grow a baby. So give yourself at least nine months to lose the weight, right? Like you're not going to lose nine months of baby growth in six weeks, give yourself equal time. So not that it's not that it's the same because you had only nine months with Evelyn. Um, but I, I feel like don't even talk to me about being even remotely normal. Until fourteen years have gone by, and now she's been gone longer than she was here. That's also a huge milestone. I've now learned from people that have gotten to that point. I was just going to where... say.
0: I wonder if that's
1: a <laughs> yeah, it's a bad twenty-six point. or twenty-seven, and then yeah, 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 and then oh no, but there's no, there's no one of the doctors. So listening to you say four years, and you're just now to the point when we knew that Molly wasn't going to wake up. One of the doctors said to us five years, five years. And I'm like, five years, what don't even begin to put any pressure on yourselves to be okay for five years. And of course that seemed so, so long at the time, five minutes seemed a long time. And I said, okay. And he said, it just a traumatic event takes about five years. It takes that long to assimilate the event, to process the event, to grieve the event, to be okay for a bit, to relapse, to be okay a little bit more, to relapse again to process it differently, to, to add other traumas in, he said five years and he, you know, it was, it was five years when, when, when I was finally able, five years was when Jack was conceived. Right. And, and, you know, so it's easy to say, oh, it's because of Jack, but I also think five years, it, like, I think that's a logical amount of time. So I say that a lot to, to newly bereaved moms, give yourself five that's years, good. you know, don't, Yep, yeah, And, and like, you know, say you say, yes, I'll come to your dinner party. You get to cancel right up until the dinner party. Like, like, oh my gosh, I, I would say, yes, I want to do something. And then I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. My, I have wonderful friends. Like a fr- my friend, Deb would invite me to concerts that she knew I would like. And I would say, yes. And she would say, just so you know, I if, if you don't want to go, my last minute replacement is my sister or my last minute replacement is, she would always have someone who would be, who would celebrate if I went but would also be psyched. I didn't cause they'd get to go. And it just yeah. took all the pressure off. You know, if I didn't, if I, if I was getting dressed for the concert and then couldn't do it, I could just say, I can't do it. And my replacement would go with my friend. Like no That's big deal. That's
0: the best friend that everybody needs when they're grieving. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah.
0: That yeah. is the best. So yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh Yeah. I don't know. You've been through so much. Like
1: I'm, I'm yeah. going
0: through all your stuff and all your kids and seeing your scar and like I can't imagine oh, waking up to that. And
1: yeah, it was you've pretty, just been through pretty so horrific. much,
0: and you're still <laughs> sharing and smiling and laughing because that's how yeah. we get through well,
1: it. Again. Yep. Yeah. No, it is. It's exactly how we get through it. One of my favorite books in high school was "One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest." I don't know if you're familiar with the book or the movie, but I've it's heard about it. a criminal. I've never that, read it. Yeah gets arrested he gets put into a mental hospital and one of the people in the ward that he's in is this this native american guy they call chief and chief doesn't speak but as the novel goes along and the story unfolds he begins to talk to mcmurphy the main character of the story and one of the things chief says is if you lose your, if you lose your laughter you lose your footing and i remember being like a 17 year old high school student reading this book and you know i i had child abuse and some things in my life going on and i thought this makes total sense because when I'm laughing, even if I'm not happy, I'm happy when I'm laughing, like I'm laughing at something funny, like I'm able to laugh. I never forgot that. So oftentimes for me, levity and humor is how I get through bad things. Sometimes I make inappropriate jokes because I want to <laughs> laugh. I'm one of those people. I'm getting yelled at and I start <laughs> laughing and like, why are you laughing? Oh, I don't know. Because <laughs> why not? Because <laughs> I need to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yep yeah I guess. Um, so anyway you're well, wonderful thank you so much
0: for being here i know we're well, just, thank. i could talk to you forever
1: <laughs> yeah same same yeah yeah
0: but yeah. i hope you i hope you have an easygoing holiday well you too just enjoy same, same. jack
1: yep and gracie yep. yeah yeah sure it'll be wonderful we'll have a good time yeah yeah they're actually jack naps in the car so gracie went with kenny Um, because if she's in the car with him, then they can do errands. You know, one of them can stay in the car with Jack. So we, uh, my kitchen designer made this beautiful wreath for Molly's grave. So one of the things they're doing is going up there and cleaning up her grave a little bit and putting the wreath on it. So, you know, we just, we just incorporate these. And the beautiful thing with Jack is he totally knows Molly. He talks about Molly when we, when he looks, he'll notice her picture. I have a Molly shirt. You know, he's like, your shirt says Molly, you know, like he, he's, she's a normal part of our family and and there's it's it's also a really you know good ass he you know he wasn't here when any of this happened so it's just this is what he knows and it's a great way to include her in our family and not feel I bad think about it having
0: i know you didn't have jack until after molly but i know having my girls after evelyn died was like what got me through yes and um i had this conversation uh I'll try not to keep you too long. But I had this conversation with this uh, woman, Lauren, and she's a baby soul communicator. And she worked in the NICU for, like, over 20 years. And she had this experience where she started hearing and, like, hearing these babies, like, as they were leaving or coming to this earth, like, in the bodies. Like, she just... (sighs) something she she has been blessed with this beautiful like um not skilled um gift it's like a gift um, yeah and yeah i'm trying to think of the right word i wonder if as they're coming and going the souls of the babies that are choosing to come and when they're supposed to come yes. you know like in passing molly and jack knew each other you know
1: right i find oh, each other i know
0: like yeah, you yeah. Know? like
1: yeah, Molly Molly like, like adjusted to- him, all right, get ready, Jack. Going to jump in soon. You know, like, yeah, yeah, I bet. I just,
0: I'm meeting all these women yeah. who do these amazing things. And yeah, yeah, <sighs> it's just wonderful. So,
1: yeah, it is wonderful. I'm so happy yeah, it's that a, a, you were able to yeah. be here. So yeah, we well, I'm really money. happy that you do this. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. well, you need to have all a wonderful right. Christmas too. Take care of yourself. Do, do fun things. Oh, yeah. And uh, and take your time yep. if you need it. We
0: just did cookies, and that was a nightmare. So yeah, I don't want to do anything else? Yeah.
1: yeah, exactly.
0: I think that was like my one thing is
1: letting yeah.
0: my younger one put frosting all over the table, and yeah, so. yeah, yeah, good.
1: Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> yeah, someday you'll miss it. Oh, I miss those I days. It's like, oh. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's yeah, a, Jack it's was a, awake uh... from one to. Jack was awake from one to four last night
0: he in the woke morning? up itchy.
1: Yeah. Then he peed his diaper. So I had to change him. And then, then he was thirsty, wanted water. Then he was hungry. Then he was itchy. So we put lotion on. Then he wanted to watch <laughs> Stinky and Dirty on his tablet. So we got the tablet. Like, we co-sleep. So, I mean, I just laid there and dozed on and off while he was going through all his imaginations, but three hours in the middle of the night. So and then he slept till nine o'clock. I had to oh, get up goodness. and go work. So yeah, that was no fun, but that's okay. <laughs> but someday I'm going to miss it. I'll my like point that. is someday I'll have he'll have hairy legs and a deep voice and he'll slam the door to his room. And I'll be like, Hi, oh, I used to snuggle with him. <laughs> so I, I try know. to remember that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we'll enjoy it all. Even the all best. Right. Oh, so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, it was nice right. talking to you. Nice talking to you too, Valen. Thank you so we'll much. See you later. Yep. Thank Keep you. up the good work. I appreciate yep. you being here. <music>
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Pregnancy Loss Podcast. I hope you enjoy the episode. I created a guide on 20 ways to celebrate your angel baby. It gives you 20 amazing ways to celebrate their birthdays or ways to just remember them on any given day. If you want to download it, head over to valenweb.com slash resources and click the link. I hope you guys have a great week. See you next time.